I'm still here. All right. All right. Today's topic is prayer. In the book of James, we're coming toward the conclusion. There's strong, strong admonitions to pray. And, you know, who can pray? You have to be a saint to pray? Certainly not. Anyone can pray. You don't have to be gifted to pray. You don't have to be super spiritual to pray. If you cry out to God, God is going to do something in your life. That's what I believe. Because he's a God that has promised to respond to prayer. So if you're here today and prayer has never made any sense to you, I want to ask you, I'm going to pray right now. And pray with me. Just ask God to do something inside of you today. Would you? Let's pray. Lord, I just pray for myself and for every person here today that we would experience you. I believe you're a God of endless compassion and righteousness and holiness and love. And I pray because I believe all of us matter to you that you would speak to our hearts today. And I ask this in the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So I want to start by asking the question, why pray? Does prayer make any difference at all? Is prayer going to change anything? Is prayer going to change you? Is prayer going to change circumstances? Is prayer going to have an impact on others that you pray for. And the first thing I'd say, why should I pray? Because Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. The scripture in Mark, and it's all over the Gospels, of Jesus taking the time to pray. Before he picked his disciples, the scripture says he prayed all night. So, here, Mark 135, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Why did he do that? Because he was surrounded by people that were waiting for him to awake so they could get to him. He was dealing with hundreds and thousands of people a day. And so he would isolate himself in prayer to spend time with a father in heaven. And we aren't given any details here, and so I've always wondered, what did, what did he pray about? Was he going over the day Was he, you know, drawing strength from the Father that he was going to be dealing with sickness of every kind? He was going to be dealing with demonic powers. He was going to be dealing with requests to even raise the dead. He was going to be dealing with angry people who opposed him. So was he, were those his prayers? I don't know. Or was he simply experiencing a time of refreshment, of focusing on the union that he had with the Father in heaven. Philippians 2 tells us that he counted equality with God to not be important, and he humbled himself and took the form of a human being and became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And so Jesus in his humanity Prayer meant so much to him because he was back in heaven when he prayed with a father. You know, I've never thought of that. 
I can be with my Father in heaven by simply praying. That's what Jesus did. So was he just drawing strength? Uh, You know, the, the Scripture tells us that Jesus knew his purpose. He said he came to seek and to save the lost. And so, was he thinking, prayer is going to give me what I need for each day to carry out the mission the Father has given me. And so, I should ask myself, if Jesus took time, devoted time to prayer, how much more do I need to learn how to pray and the importance of prayer and to pray? You know, you can pray driving down the interstate. Just don't close your eyes, okay? All right. The second thing, Jesus not only prayed, he taught his disciples how to pray. There's numerous teachings. I'm just going to deal with one here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. He says, okay, now when you pray, don't make a show of it. Don't be like the hypocrites who love to be seen praying in public, public and in the, the, the meeting places and where everybody can see them. I tell you the truth, that's all the reward they'll ever get. When you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. When you pray, don't just repeat a bunch of words. It's not a memorized prayer of some kind. It's not just babbling words. Uh, Pagans believe that their gods hear them because they babble on and on and on. They aren't thinking that their God is personal or that he cares or that he loves them and they're trying to earn his favor. That's not what this is about. You have a father, perfect father in heaven who loves you and wants to hear your heart. So pray. Don't be like the pagans who pray in an empty, meaningless way. And he says, don't be like them. Why? Verse 8, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. You know, we're not giving God a news bulletin when we pray, telling him something he doesn't know. But our heart is getting in touch with his heart. We're saying, here is my heart, God. And we want to discover what God has for us. And so we ask and we seek. And we knock. Jesus said, ask, you're going to receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. And so there's a progression there. First we ask and then we seek. We sift our prayer. Is, am I asking the heart of God or am I asking some selfish prayer for myself? And I knock. I don't just think, hey, I'm going to pray once and that's it. No, the, this is a journey of conversation with God. And so Jesus taught us to pray. He gave us a model prayer, beginning there in verse 6 and verse 9. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. And so we address God personally as our heavenly Father. It's a relational prayer. It's not a ritual of some kind. And this is a model for prayer. It's not something just to be memorized and repeated. It's like an outline. My Father in heaven... And then to pray for the kingdom. I'm going to get to this later. May your kingdom come and 
your will be done on earth, just like it's happening right now in heaven. May your kingdom come in my life and in the world around me, and may your will be done. That's a big prayer. And then we pray for our needs. Give us today the food we need. And that, that means everything, really. God, meet my needs today. Meet the needs of the people around me. And then a prayer for forgiveness. Forgive me my sins just like I forgive others. Wow. You know, that teaches us something that's so the heart of God, that if we're going to ask for his forgiveness, we must be willing to pass that forgiveness to others. If we're asking God to forgive us, and we're not willing to forgive others, something is wrong. And Jesus just goes on to say, you know, if, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father is going to forgive you. But if you're not forgiving others, don't waste your time asking for his forgiveness. Because you're saying you're more important than he is. That your hurt feelings are more important than God's. And your desire to not let people get away with it is bigger than God's desire for justice. So God forgives. He's compassionate. And then there's the prayer for deliverance, protection from evil. Deliver me, Lord, from temptation and from the evil one. And so this is a model for prayer where we can go through this and God can speak to our heart and then we go from here in praying. So Jesus taught us definitely to pray. Big time prayer. And then number three, this is where I really want to settle down. Jesus said, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus taught us to pray kingdom-sized prayers, big prayers. James earlier said, you have not because you ask not. And you have not because when you do ask, you're asking tiny little prayers that are selfish. And so Jesus teaches us to ask big kingdom-sized prayers. I want to go to Matthew 21, verses 21 and 22. These verses have been misused over and over again for selfish purposes that you can just want something and name it for, before God and kind of claim it as yours. No, there's a bigger idea here than simply getting something you want. This is a kingdom prayer. Look at now, Matthew 21 21 and 22. Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this. He just done a miracle and much more. You can even say to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. That verse can be so misused. This is about the kingdom. This is about praying for God's work to happen on earth and to pray for things that are so big they are humanly impossible. They are God-sized. And so Jesus is saying, it's time to believe it's the time to believe that God can do great work in the world and to pray those kinds of big mountain-moving prayers. You know, I, I look back on my life and I think, boy, I missed a lot of opportunities here. 
I haven't prayed big enough prayers. You know, uh, these are prayers that change lives forever. This took me back to how we got involved in India with a man that prays mountain-sized prayers, kingdom of God-sized prayers, ridiculous, impossible prayers. Back in 2011, uh, we had no plan to be involved in India. We had no budget for it, no plan for it, no anything for it. But I was introduced to a young pastor named Praveen Chakravarthi through Water of Life and Roland Bergeron. And it didn't take me long to discover that this young man was the real, real deal. He asked for nothing for himself. He was looking for partners, praying for partners who would come alongside him and the pastor's league where he was president of a thousand pastors who were going out to people who never had heard the name of Jesus. And they needed transportation to get there. They were limited in how they could get to these places. And they needed video equipment and sound equipment so they could show the Jesus film in the languages of the people. And there were other things they needed. And we had taken a mission offering that year and had some money. And, and so I, I sent him some money to do those things, to buy those specific things. And it was August of 2011 when we bought him what he called the gospel on wheels, a van. And that van he used and the pastors used, they signed up to use it every day. That van now has several hundred thousand miles on it, and it's still going. And so we began this partnership, and it was about planting churches where there's never been a church and they've had unbelievable success and have baptized hundreds of thousands of people. And so God led us into that partnership that was something we never dreamed of or thought of. Now another answer, another one of Praveen's prayers, he's praying for partners to do this. And he has a lot of ministry going on that I knew nothing about. And he was also praying for water wells because these villages had no access to clean water and an untouchable can't use water from a source that higher castes use. They can't do that. And so he was determined to find water wells and he has a huge goal for the number of water wells he wants to provide for these villages. And so we also were helping him do that. And so it doesn't cost a great deal of money to do a water well in India so it doesn't make any sense to send our own equipment over there. And so he hired a company to do water wells for him. I think back then it was $1,500 a well. And he met the man that owned the business. He wasn't doing the work. He's a very wealthy businessman, the highest caste Hindu, the Brahmin caste. This man's father a Hindu high priest in the Brahmin caste. And so when Praveen meets people, he has a habit of finding out about them. Not just, I want a water well, but how are you? What's going on in your life? Is there a way I can pray for you? And so this man 
The Holy Spirit was obviously at work, and he talked to Praveen, and he listened. And then he said, well, I'm about to have surgery for a hernia. And Praveen said, can I pray for you? And so Praveen then shared the gospel with him, the love of Christ, and then said, I'm going to ask in Jesus' name for your healing. And he prayed for the man, and the hernia disappeared. The hernia disappeared. All right. Now, this man was blown away. He'd never met anybody who showed personal interest in him that didn't want money because he was very wealthy. And he'd never experienced anything like this. And so the Holy Spirit just began a work. And that man, in spite of his reputation as the highest caste Hindu, surrendered his life to Christ and was converted. And I mean converted. And he told everybody. He didn't care what they thought of him. This is what you call a real conversion. He didn't keep it a secret. And it cost him dearly. He was ostracized. His wife thought he was crazy. His friends, his family thought he was crazy. Eventually, his father, the Hindu high priest, would also be converted. Folks, I'd say this, this guy named Praveen somehow knows how to pray mountain-sized prayers. Huge prayers that I've never thought about praying. And so this man comes to Christ. He becomes devoted to Praveen and Praveen's ministry. And before we started rescuing children from the mines, Praveen already had a good number of children he was caring for. And this man began paying their tuition in school. This man began paying some of the expenses to care for them. And this man just became devoted to Praveen. He just, this was an answer to prayer. Praveen needed a man like this. He prayed. God gave him to him. Now this man later becomes our key partner in the building of the campus. He became our general contractor. More about that later. I had no idea the mountain-sized prayers that Praveen Chakravarti was praying or the kind of ministry he was involved in. I did not know that since 2008, he had, (coughs) excuse me, that was terrible, that he had been visiting child slaves in rock quarries, children living in the worst conditions imaginable having almost nothing to eat, being treated as non-human. And so he was going to these quarries since 2008, and he would take food and water and clothing and medicine and hope. He taught those children to pray for deliverance because he believed in praying mountain-sized prayers, prayers that move mountains, praying that those children would be delivered from slavery. And his plan was what? His plan was to win the quarry owners to Christ so they'd let them go. I just, as I found this out, I was, I was stunned. Now, I went back, I started dealing with him in 2011, and thank God for archives and email. Because... I found those first emails I exchanged with him, and I want to share 
some of those with you today because they're so remarkable and they reflect his mountain-sized prayers. He was praying, and also those children in slavery were praying for deliverance. Remember, in the Old Testament, God says, I heard the prayers of my children crying out in slavery in Egypt. Here's an email I received Monday, August 22nd, 2011 at 1.40 p.m. Isn't the internet wonderful? All right. He says, hello, sir. Thank you for your prayers for me and our works. Today I went to the slavery area where children are working in the rock quarries. This is the first time he's told me about this. A girl can be given freedom by clearing her debt of $3,000 and a boy for $2,500. The parents of these children failed to pay their debts and the quarry owners took the children as payment. The girls in the quarry have been abused and raped as there is no one to ask for help. The girls cried at my visit and asked me to save them from the slavery. I sat there and read these words over and over, and the email's much longer. And it was like a, bo- a bomb exploded inside of me. And it began a discussion for the next several days over email that went like this. I told Praveen, I said, look, I'd never pay for one of those kids because it just feeds the system. You give a quarry owner that kind of money, he's just going to go get more kids. It won't really help. There's got to be another way, I said. Isn't it against the law in India to have child slavery? And his answer was, yes, it's against the law, but laws in India are so corrupt officials can take bribes. And so he said, the bribes are paid and nothing is ever done. No one will do anything. It's the caste system. These children are considered nothing. They're untouchables. They don't even have a caste. They're below all the castes that there are in India in the Hindu system. And so it's all right to treat them any way you wish. I said, look, it's against the law. There's got to be somebody that God will use to enforce the law. He said, well, look, that's not my plan. I'm going to win the quarry owners to Christ and they're going to let them go. And my next comment to him was, what happens to the children while you're waiting for the Holy Spirit to soften the hearts of these quarry owners? Because in my mind, these quarry owners, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I didn't care if they got saved or not. I'm just being honest. That's just as wrong as it can be. But my idea was, these are men that have to be so evil to treat children like this, I don't give a rip about them. I'm going to read more of what Praveen said. Anyway, after our discussion, he said, I'm going to pray about this. But I'm not going to give up on the idea of saving the quarry owners, and they will let the children go. All right, that first email was August 22nd. This is September 3rd. He had asked his father about finding government officials who would help them. 
He says, by the grace of God and by your prayers, God is going to open the way to rescue slave children through political friends my father knows. This includes a woman he recently led to Christ. She is a member of the legislature. My father personally asked her and these other political people to help in saving the children, and they are eager to help us, especially the woman. I'm attaching the picture of my father along with the political people who will help us. That's the picture. The certificate they're holding is a certificate from the government saying that they can care for rescue children. I was amazed. He said, even, listen now, even though our political friends can help save the kids from slavery, my aim is to save the owners and the managers of the rock quarries through the love of Christ. I will do that and sure you will be able to see it. Listen, as with God, everything is possible. This is a man who prays mountain-moving prayers and believes them. And I, my, I was thinking, he's going to get kids released. Praise God. Praise God. My vision is to make sure that the gospel should reach them, the quarry owners. Every human being who's working in the quarries has to know about the real living God, and I will make it possible through Christ. I need your prayers for it, sir. I then started asking him all kinds of questions about how he's going to take care of the kids, where they were going to live, how they were going to be fed. Was he going to send them to school? Was he going to do this? Was he going to do that? And he very patiently answered my questions. But in the middle of it, an email he sent me then on September 5, two days after he told me about the political leaders, he said, in the future, we would like to construct a campus and school for the kids where a thousand of them can live and stay and learn. And by the grace of God, we will get enough land to do all of this. We are asking and waiting on God. And I looked at that and it kind of went, boop, boop. We had no plan. We had no money. What was he talking about? And then a month later on October 8th, I got this remarkable email. I have trouble reading it. Yesterday we went to the rock quarries and brought kids out. God has done a miracle in bringing them out. The joy in the kids' faces made me so happy, and they were so happy for coming out too. We went to three rock quarries and selected the kids, the youngest kids, we gave bananas and water packets to all the kids as a meal and spent some time with the older kids that we would not be able to take with us that day. We gave them assurance that we will come back and take them too. Right now the kids are with the pastors, staying in the churches, 
Everything went well by the grace of God, sir, but in leaving the other kids at the mines made me Deep breath, made me upset, but I will try my best to get the other children as soon as possible. Finally, I need your prayers as I am very, very tired these two days and going here and there by walking in the mines and having to select the kids. My body is in much pain. I need your prayers for my health. You can see the picture, sir, of saving the children from slavery. Thank you, sir. Pastor Praveen. Now I'm going to give you a list of things that have happened now. As a result of mountain moving prayers, to do the impossible, a month later, by November, we were caring for 250 rescued children. In January 2012, Praveen received government recognition for his work and doors opened for hundreds more kids to be rescued. Many of them went back to their parents. A lot more we took on to care for. At that time, we had no plan, no budget. We were using reserves of mission money that God had provided. In 2012, after much prayer, Brookwood put India in the budget to care for the children and to start building a campus. It was over a million dollars. What a miracle. In 2012, David Moorhead went to India and his heart was broken. Spent a week with Praveen. Set Free Alliance was formed. We began child sponsorship and significant efforts to raise funds from sources even outside Brookwood. In January 2013, a quarry owner was saved. He closed his quarries and released all the children. There were thousands. Overnight, we added 800 more children. 800 more. That same year, we purchased land for the Set Free Campus and filled it. In 2014, we made an agreement with a well driller to be our general contractor on the campus and begin construction to include dorms, staff quarters, and a school with vocational training. And this is the wealthy Hindu upper caste man, the well driller that had been saved. He became our general contractor. He added a floor to every building that he is paying for himself. He has spent over a million dollars of his own money now on this campus. Is that not a mountain being moved into the sea? I love this picture. David, Bill Bishop, Wayne Preston, Brantley Smith visited last February. 
There's the campus behind them. That's the girls' dorm painted white, multi-purpose building behind it for staff quarters and food services, and the boys' dorm going up on the right. It'll hold over a 1,000, not including staff. And this is a mountain that has been moved into the sea. A mountain that's been moved into the sea. Today we're caring for over 1,400 rescued children. Through vocational training, over 100 rescued children have been employed, and they send back over $3,000 a month to the ministry to help rescue more children. Two quarry girls, they were in quarries. They've now passed the test to enter engineering school. And another converted quarry owner is paying their tuition. Another girl qualified number five in the state of Andhra Pradesh for medical school. She'd been a slave in a quarry and she'd been raped repeatedly. And now her plan is to be a doctor and that same converted quarry owner is looking for schools for her to go to. Maybe I should believe more in miracles. Now, I'm not finished, and we're going to go late today. If some of you want to leave, I understand. I couldn't leave. So, in India, marriages are arranged. You don't date, fall in love, and ask somebody to marry you. Families get together and arrange marriages. Praveen is 29, 30 years old. He's never been married. He believes it's time for him to get married. Are you listening to me? I've never said anything like this from the pulpit before. David and Marcy Moorhead have been over there many times, and he FaceTimes Marcy, and he says, I've had a dream, a vision, that I'm going to marry a woman from America. And I want you to find her for me. I've never advertised for a bride before from the pulpit. Now, this would have to be a very unusual woman. It'd be like being married to the Apostle Paul. You never know where he's going to be. This past three or four days, he's been remote, out in villages that nobody ever goes to. He's in constant danger. A lot of quarry owners who still have children want to kill him, and they threaten him all the time. One of the pastors that helped him rescue the original children was murdered this year. As a warning to Praveen, this is going to happen to you. So if there's a woman that God has picked to marry this man, you better be unusual. You better be totally sold out to Jesus Christ and have a calling. Now, Chuck Swindoll said there was a lady that told him she wanted to get married. She was in her early 30s, and she went out and bought a man's pair of pants and hung them on her bedpost (laughs) and prayed, God, hear my prayer, and if you can, fill these trousers with a man. There was an older boy there that day, Pastor Swindoll says, and he went out and bought a bikini and put it on his bedpost. 
Now I'm thinking we might get a wedding dress and hang it somewhere and start praying God will fill it with a godly woman for Praveen. And you say, this is a crazy prayer. Well, look at all the other prayers he's prayed that are crazy. All right. I'm going to give you just a little bit on the book of James now. James says we ought to be praying great, great, big prayers. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? This is James 5.13. You should pray. You should pray for yourself. Don't try to make it on your own. Scripture says that God cares for us. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And so instead of just trying to figure it out on our own, God hasn't promised to take all our troubles away, but he's promised to be with us and to give us guidance. Pray when you're in trouble. Pray for yourself. And then he says, are you happy? You ought to be singing praises. Praise God. Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me. Praise your holy name. I don't want to forget any of your benefits. You forgive all my sins. Heal my diseases and rescue my life from the pit. That's Psalm 103. Praise God. Prayer, praise gets rid of self-pity and depression. Turn to that. That'll turn you up. Pray for yourself. Pray prayers of praise. And then most important, I think, prayers of intercession. When you pray for others. Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings deeper than words. We don't know how to pray as we should. And when we pray, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the Father on our behalf Praying according to the will of God. God loves you that much that the Holy Spirit is interceding for you when you open your heart to God. And we're also told that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father pleading for us, interceding for us. And if the Holy Spirit and Jesus pray and intercede, how much more we should. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, are any of you sick? And the word sick there can also mean weak. I think this refers to a crisis of physical illness or a spiritual crisis where someone is simply falling away from God and caught in a sin. And they need to be restored. They need healing. He says, what should you do if you're caught in a sin? You're caught in a crisis sickness. Call the spiritual leaders of the church. Ask them to pray over you. Ask them to anoint you with oil. And the prayer of faith will raise you up. Notice it's the prayer of faith. The anointing with oil isn't magic. It's simply a symbol of surrender to God and his ways. And it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, Remember that Elijah was a man just like us, and he prayed, and it didn't rain for three and a half years, and then he prayed, and it did. He's an ordinary man. You're ordinary, but your prayers count. He goes on to say, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. I'm almost finished. Hang in there. Now, we don't do this. This is threatening. 
If I tell somebody my fault, they may tell somebody else. In Africa, it's common in church services for people to stand up in public and confess their sins. And when a pastor visited, he said, oh, we could never do that. And the pastor in Africa said, well, why not? And the pastor said, well, people would talk. They'd gossip. And the African pastor said, oh, we don't hear the sin. We hear what God is doing in their lives. We ought to be that kind of people. That others can share their flaws and their faults. And there's no judgment and condemnation. There's simply prayer. The scripture is telling us there is help when we pray for each other and we have confidence in a person and we say, this is my struggle. Now, you don't have to go into gory details. You just categorize your struggle. I'm struggling with jealousy. I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with unforgiveness. I'm struggling with lust. I'm struggling fill in the blank. Let someone pray for you. Scripture promises there's healing. So there's healing. There's spiritual restoration. There's physical healing. Now, this is not a guarantee that you're going to get a physical healing just like that. We know Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and he prayed repeatedly, and it didn't go away. When we pray, we are surrendering to God and what God is going to do. But we shouldn't be afraid to pray for physical healing. Some of you here today caught in a crisis of illness. We're going to end the service today by having a time of prayer. I'm going to ask our Care Connection people and our pastors to come and stand across the front. We have anointing oil. If you want to be anointed with oil and prayed for in the name of the Lord today, we're going to do that. If you want somebody to pray for you and you're dealing with, with spiritual separation from God, and you're hurting, you can be prayed for. There's a prayer that's always answered immediately, and it's the prayer of repentance. If you don't know God personally, if you pray a simple prayer, God be merciful to me, a sinner, the Scripture promises God will answer that prayer immediately. If you think you're so far gone from God, there's no hope for you, you're wrong. God loves sinners, and he calls you to himself. And so we're going to have a time of prayer here at the end of the service. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to come or to remain in your seat and pray. And when I finish praying, you can come or you can leave as God leads you. Father, thank you for prayer. Thank you for a man like Pastor Praveen, who prays mountain-sized prayers. And I pray for your presence here today, that there would be forgiveness of sin today, that there would be a movement of your Holy Spirit, that there would be humility, that people would have hope, and they would come and put their requests before you today and let someone who loves them pray for them. And I ask this prayer in Jesus' name. You're free to make your way forward or you're free to exit or remain here to pray.